Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to experience a grace that heals. Allow this grace to take your life and your relationships to another level as it frees you from the weight of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode as Joel Groh and Lynn Wilder share encouraging stories and candid dialogue that can help you experience a grace that heals. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Unveiling Grace podcast episode. So glad you're with us. I'm Joel Grote. And I'm Lynn Wilder. And we have someone really special to me with us today. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> you know, a lot of people who are familiar with our ministry know our third son, Micah's testimony. If you have never seen it, you might just Google ex-Mormon incredible testimony or go to the Adams Road Ministry um, YouTube page or Facebook page or website. But um, this is not the one who started this whole thing, but, but Micah's older brother, Matt, who actually listened to Micah's testimony. And Matt was in a lot of ways and his girlfriend instrumental in Mike and myself understanding the gospel of grace. Oh, that's cool. So I didn't know this that. This is the second Wilder son, Matt Wilder. He's in the Adams Road Ministry, and he is also married to someone who was once LDS. Hey, Matt, welcome. Yeah, hey, Matt, Mom. glad to have you with us. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, it's a treat to be here. Um, so you could have your favorite son on today. It means a lot. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we've been waiting it. for this. It's like <laughs> yeah. a long time. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I would like—I mean, personally—I don't care about sure. the rest of our listening audience. I would just like <laughs> to hear your testimony because I've heard sure. my guess. I've heard some of your other brothers and sisters because we've interviewed them also on the podcast. As we've been, my wife and I went down to Winter Garden. We were in Florida and did that. But I know very little about your testimony growing up what impacted you your transition where you were at when your family starts going through all this change um, after 30 years uh, in the Mormon church so yeah. go ahead and start us out so like how old were you when they joined the church I guess I'll, that'll kind of give people a, a context historically um well they joined the church before I was born oh okay so you were born so, so let me start there couple. In, in 1983, on March 26th, was it early in the morning? I was born. No. So, yeah, I was born in what they call born into the covenant. And so yep. I knew nothing else other than Mormonism. Awesome parents. Um, uh, my family, they were like the quintessential LDS family. And we did everything we were supposed to, so to speak. And I grew up in the Midwest, actually. So it's kind of an interesting, unique thing because I also lived in Utah for a few years as a young LDS person to kind of contrast what it means to be a Mormon in somewhere like Indiana versus what it meant to be a Mormon oh, culturally yeah, in Utah. Yeah. It's the same thing here with Mormons that I met there from Michigan. It's like growing up in Michigan as a Mormon, whoa, way different than Utah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we were kind of the oddballs in Indiana. Um, I remember in my in my school, I was maybe one of one of three other kids in a class of a, a few hundred that were, you know, we were the only wow. Mormons okay. at school, and so we were definitely and not the normal ones. But I kind of liked that. I liked feeling that I was unique and special, and that I stood for something, and I wanted to be a good ambassador for my religion. 
And so okay. I, I took it really seriously. And um, let's see. So like as, as a more a typical Mormon person would do things like in their family, we would travel, do temple trips. That was a, a thing that we would do um, as a family that I remember when I was in Indiana. And we'd drive three hours to the Chicago temple and it'd be like an entire weekend and we'd spend all day there. Um, and the, the Mormon temple, if you don't know anything about this, this is like a special building for somebody who's LDS and, and you can only enter it after you're a certain age, after you're 12 years old and you've kind of earned your way into certain, a certain status uh, sure. for your good works. And so it, it's something that feels very special and elite because you've, you feel that you've earned it or you've worked hard or you've, you've waited your turn, you've paid your dues. And then so in, in the Mormon temple, you, you do certain things. Um, like I remember my first experience as a Mormon, one of the things they do is something called baptisms for the dead. Yeah. Um, so basically the idea in Mormonism is that the atonement of Jesus Christ isn't sufficient. Um, there's other works that are necessary for your salvation. And one of those that's a necessary work is water baptism. And so how do you reconcile? Well, what about all the people that didn't have a chance to be water baptized in the Mormonism? Right. Well, we're going to be baptized on their behalf. So I, I remember being baptized down and up, down and up over and over again. But at the time it was a very, you know, I took it very seriously and it was, maybe it was the placebo effect or something, but you go into this mentally, you've been preparing, you drive three hours and, and it was something that I very, I, I valued and I treasured at the time. And so did they ever did they ever make any of these temple trips before you were twelve? I'm wondering how you guys navigated mm -hmm. that. That's um, a good question, Mom. I'm sure you guys did. Did you ever take us with you on on any trips where the younger kids weren't able to go in the temple? And how did you navigate that? When you were really little, we went to D.C. We took a babysitter along, and she stayed with you. But like when Josh got twelve, I think we just took Josh. Right by then, we were going oh, to Chicago okay, sure. Temple. Yeah. So probably when Matt got the age, we probably just took him, or maybe took him and his older brother. Yeah, got it. Okay, that makes sense. I just thought, well, because there's not like a lot of playlands <laughs> built into mm -hmm. the temples, right. so uh, it'd be. If you're not able to go in, there wouldn't be a whole lot for you to do. So that makes sense. It, and then yeah. kind of make it special for the kid, right? They get to go along when they're old enough to go into the temple. So mm -hmm. that just makes it a, a bigger experience. And I've been able to visit. I've been in a number of Mormon temples during their open houses. So okay, incredibly yeah. impressive structures. They are. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Okay. So, so at any rate, yeah. So I kind of compare it to like, so one of the things you preparatory things you do to enter the temple, you have to have this interview with your ecclesiastical leader. It's called a, it's called a temple recommend a yep. questionnaire basically. And so it kind of reminds me of the Pharisee and the tax collector kind of parable, how you have this, this Pharisee where the approach to God is look at all the good things I'm doing. Uh, this is making me worthy to be in your presence. God, I thank you. I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. <laughs> I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Um, right. but, you yeah. know, but then, so, so that was me. Like you're asked, do you pay a full tithe? You know, are you obeying the law of chastity? So you have all these rules, you have these dietary guidelines that, um, that if you're following are supposed to help you feel like you have a clear conscience before God to, to be worthy for, for this, this experience in the Mormon temple, which is also representative kind of of eternal life, that you're worthy of eternal life as well. Right. Because the temple ceremonies are essential for exaltation. And for yeah. anybody who's listening to the podcast, um, on our podcast website, unveilinggracepodcast.com, we now have a search feature. 
So if you want to know about episodes where we've talked about any of these things, you can put in uh, Baptism for the Dead, you could put in Exaltation, and any podcast episode where we've talked about that, that'll come up and it'll jump to right the spot where we're talking about it for you. So um, yeah, just to let people know that if they're hearing, wait, wait, you know, what is it? <laughs> we don't have time to like discuss it all, but we have another podcast episodes and it's really easy to find them now. So, okay. Awesome. Yeah. So what, what are some of your, besides the temple, what are some of your like core memories growing up LDS? When you, some, you know, you look back, wow. These most were really of, it was, most of it was really awesome. Uh, Boy Scouts, um, uh, family adventures, like Mormons are big on forever families, on families or everything. Yeah. And so everything's centered around the family. Uh, unfortunately, it's, it, it's, it became almost like an idol. Well, that like... Uh, replaced Jesus and that was kind of the focus and it was it superseded you know our relationship with God I know that's every LDS person wouldn't say that but I felt in my own life that was one of the things that uh, was missing but um, one of the things that I really remember growing up was dealing with a guilty conscience oh, okay? okay so I have this I have this standard of excellence that I'm supposed to be achieving and for the most part I did a pretty good job, but these are all kind of like works of the flesh, kind of a way to measure your righteousness. But the thing is like, before a just and holy God, none of us are righteous. And the Holy Spirit, right. his role is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. And it didn't matter how hard I worked or how hard I tried to achieve this worldly um, element, this that kind of the elementary, or what is it, rudimentary spirits of the world, this whole kind of idea of, 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 um, righteous standards that aren't really truly true holiness right but only like the world external standards or religions yeah. mm -hmm. external standards and so this caused me to have a guilty conscience and to really work harder and try to find um a way to deal with that guilty conscience and then when i fell short of the lds standards then then that really kind of plagued me and i thought well have i really repented enough have i i forsook this sin you know how long do i need to forsake it until God forgives me, and if, if I've been forgiven of this, and then I mess up again, like, will all these former sins return? And so right. it was just a roller coaster where my salvation and my, my, my assurance for eternal life was never based on the work of Christ. It was always based on my performance, so to speak, and my ability or lack of ability to obey these, these LDS standards. And so that caused me to just, that was a nightmare. And yeah. So, okay. So like at what age do you start to become aware of this within the system? Mm -hmm. um, I'd know, say, is it like early teens? Is it younger yeah, than I'd that? Say is it early to mid teens? Okay. Probably. And then this is something that I dealt with, you know, off and on until God saved me or until I uh, received salvation. And, uh, but when I was 16, our family moved from the heart of Midwest to the heart of Mormonism into Utah. And it was kind of a cultural shock for me, but I really loved it. And I kind of, got recharged and reinvested into, man, I want to, I have the second chance, the second start. I'm really going to be extra righteous this time. I'm okay. going to make myself worthy for this mission. I've got <laughs> everybody around me. Nobody knew me. So I've got a, a clean slate and, and boy, I'm really going to be good this time. And so I, I, I mean, I was ultra zealous and, you know, according to the standards of Mormonism, I was, I was right there. And then I went on my Mormon mission. I spent two years in Denmark learned the language, um, went out on the streets oh, wow. every day. I didn't mess okay. around. I was what they call a zone leader. Eventually it was, I, I just took it really seriously. And I had a zeal for uh, trying to lead people into this religion because I truly believed that that was the way that they could find eternal life. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I can relate to that whole clean slate thing because I, my parents were missionaries. They were Baptist missionaries in mm -hmm. Venezuela, South America. And I remember at 10 years, at, in 10th grade, I went away to boarding school. Okay. And it was the same thing because the way I'd been living my life the previous two years, I had some friends that were not that great at influence. It's like, okay, I'm going away to boarding school. Nobody knows me here. And I, it was kind of the same thing. You know, I am going to be all in. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting because when you commit to that sort of standard and you're measuring yourself against what you're doing, you always fall short because yeah. we can't. So it's just interesting that there's parallels even between, you know, the LDS faith community and the Christian faith community. Um, I mean, I think those are good times. I think those restarts are times when we kind of get rehoned. And I'm guessing God probably used that renewed commitment sure. to holiness and righteousness to just raise your awareness. Mm -hmm. um, and so did you take, well, you said you took that into your mission. You're his own leader. You were probably one of those missionaries that they're like, <laughs> oh, don't get assigned to Matt, man, because he's gonna, <laughs> you're going to have to be up on time with devotions in the That's morning right. <laughs> and don't yeah. you dare try anything except on P day. And so uh -huh. I'm sure I was, I became legalistic <laughs> and a little self-righteous. If I could look back and see myself, I'm sure I would have been totally embarrassed and like, man, that's who I was. But, you know, I, and I'm still that way in a lot of ways, but it's amazing to see how the Holy Spirit changes us. And but your leaders probably not, loved you. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing your leaders and, loved. Sure. And zeal and yeah, and so, uh, like, nothing on my, like, Christian, so here's the one thing that happened on my Mormon mission that I do want to kind of um, highlight, because it was really cool. I want to emphasize, if you're a Christian, and you have an opportunity to uh, be an influence in someone's life, like, maybe that they're Mormon or the Mormon missionaries, take advantage of that, like, even if it's just relational initially, and, and then God will open the door for you to, go, to be the light of Jesus to them. You don't realize when you're in the darkness, that contrast of darkness and light and and when you're in the light and you're a christian how much that impacts people who are not in that light mm -hmm. just to be an influence in their life i i lived in a culture in, in utah where i didn't know any christians everyone wow. was either secular or mormon I, the community was like 98 percent lds and so my first real encounters except maybe when i was younger growing up that i don't remember a lot but compared to you Utah, my first real encounters when I was older with Christians was as a Mormon missionary in Denmark. Okay, so you have like some, you have a couple of things that stand out where you yeah, encountered yeah. Christians? Yeah, I remember there was this, this nice Christian woman who, um, and her family kind of took what they called the discussions, and, and she was very kind and loving, and um, I think uh, she was pursuing us, and she understood that we were Mormon missionaries and was looking for opportunities to share the truth. But the way she did it was just so impactful. She was so gracious and kind and patient. Her speech was seasoned with salt, so to speak. And, okay. and I remember getting to a point in one of the presentations where we're talking about um, eternal life and the importance of temples and the necessity of temple ordinances in order to gain eternal life. And she just responded with... she. she she took it back to the cross and made it very simple and, and asked me a very simple question. She just said, why can't what, what Jesus did on the cross to be enough for you to, to have salvation? And this really simply through, through scriptures shared the gospel of wow. Jesus Christ according to the Bible. And I remember it made me really angry inside, like it confounded me because it was almost so simple and it was contrary to everything I had been preaching for the last two years. And yet, like wow. when it comes down to it, Jesus said, my words are spirit and truth. There's power, and, there's power behind the truth and simplicity of the gospel. 
And so I remember that really impacted me. It kind of shook me up. Okay. <laughs> but I never, nevertheless, I, I ended up finishing my Mormon mission and I went back to Utah and I was studying BYU. I was studying piano performance there. And um, I continued to kind of deal with this, this dilemma of the guilty conscience and just okay. always trying, trying harder, uh, seeking approval from my leadership that if I had their approval and I did the right things that somehow that would I like I earned my forgiveness for past transgressions, but I never knew if I had done enough. I was always that question. Have you done enough? Could you have done more? Did you truly repent? Did you repent long enough? Were you sincere enough? Were you penitent enough in your heart? And so um, I remember one day at BYU. So there's these religion courses you're required to take at BYU. Um, so okay. you have these religion professors. And a lot of the things you go through is like one year is maybe the doctrine covenants or one semester might be the book of Mormon. Um, and so I remember, I can't remember, I think it was the Doctrine and Covenants, which is, which is supposed scripture revelation that Joseph Smith gave and the Mormons revere as scripture. Yes. Um, but I remember one day that, I can't remember the section of DNC or what the topic was, but it had to do with uh, like worship. And he was comparing like examples of, of what's appropriate worship in Mormonism versus what might be inappropriate, what you might see in other Christian denominations. Oh, fascinating. And I remember, so he showed a video of a Christian worship team in their congregation singing the song Amazing Grace. And it was almost like a Southern, it was like a gospel version of it. It was, um, mm -hmm. but I, it brought me to tears, like the song and the, the singing and seeing these profession Christians up there that seem to have this experience with the grace of God and seem to have an assurance of their salvation mm -hmm. and this, this love for Jesus that I, I wanted to be where they were. And I just remember uh, the way that the Lord impacted me through uh, the song, Amazing Grace. And then that contrasted with um, the classmates and the teacher and how they kind of. I was going to say, did they, what, is, what the was video. their judgment of it? It was like, it was, no, this is not legitimate worship. It, this it, is... it was, it was too rowdy. Um, the cult culturally, just there were aspects about it that were, it was like a black gospel choir type of thing. It was just something that didn't fit into the mold of, I guess, the way a Mormon, a Mormon would do it, like the reverence right. or whatever. Mm -hmm. but, but I really connected with that. Or God used that to, um, what it did was just open my heart towards biblical Christianity because I said, why was that? Why did they react this way? And why was I moved and touched in, in such a beautiful way through yeah. that song and wow. that message, which, which yeah. that message is all about the grace of God. So what is grace? Like, um, which, um, Mormonism, one of the things you'll learn in Mormonism is that they redefine terms. Even the, the word grace isn't truly the biblical, um, definition. Right. And I was going to say, so, just to help people understand as yeah. a faithful, committed LDS person, how did you understand grace? What was like your working uh, definition of grace and how you get it? I'm trying to think back, but basically grace was an earned reward. Okay. It was like something that was given after you did all that you could do. Like if you first um, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient to save you. That's like a Mormon verse. So basically yeah. it's like follow wow. the law perfectly, deny yourself of all ungodliness, and then is his grace sufficient to, to save you. So in other words, once you've done your part, you've done your works, then grace is like the reward for your efforts and it'll, and it'll kind of fill themselves. in the gaps that you're yeah. missing and kind of, yeah, kind of backfill what you didn't have. Yeah. Okay. So how does, how does that definition then play into your own struggle? Because you've already said you were already struggling with the fact that you knew 
according at least to an absolute holy standard, you weren't measuring up, you weren't sure. And yeah. so then what assurance did you even have of getting grace? I didn't, and I never had that. And so that's why the good news is such good news when, when God finally brought me around to it. And um, he, again, he brought Christians into my life. It was time and time again, it was the same message. I remember one summer I was doing an internship in Orlando, Florida, and I was serving at a, um, at a restaurant. And one of, the, one of the employees that I was serving with, he was a Christian and he knew I was a Mormon. And so he'd ask a lot of questions and I was, I was trying to evangelize him. I think he was yep. trying to evangelize <laughs> me. And so I'm trying to explain the importance of temples and the role of temples and, and gaining eternal life. And again, he brought it back to the cross, almost like that same woman on my mission. I was like having flashbacks oh. to that. Basically, like after this complex like explanation of how you can have eternal life, he simply like lays out the gospel. <laughs> Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You know, can, can you simply just uh, turn from yourself and turn to Jesus and believe this? and receives eternal life as a free gift. And, and so these were all things that, again, um, God had to work through my stubborn heart and my pride because I had invested my entire life into Mormonism. But at right. some point, he broke me where, where I, I get to a point where Romans chapter 2, verse 5 says, because of your heart and impenitence and heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Obviously, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we're children of wrath, destined for destruction outside of the grace of Christ. And so that reality right. is beginning to weigh more and more on, on me as I continued to kind of turn from this message of grace. But, but, but I got to a point where it's like... Um, this was overwhelming and I realized, yes, I am wretched. I am a sinner. Uh, I am not good. I deserve the wrath of God. Uh, so, so Jesus, um, what, what can I do? Save me. Like I can't do it on my own. I finally had to come to a place of submission where I was ready to receive this good news, a place of humility, a place of brokenness. And, and that's what God did um, through his word and through people in my life, through the Holy Spirit, convicting me of sin, righteousness, and judgment over time. Yeah. Um, and so I think the, the straw that broke the camel's back was my younger brother, Micah, getting saved as a Mormon missionary and, and having okay. a chance to um, testify to the gospel of the grace of God and share his conversion story. And then I just remember his emphasis was on, on the word of God, the Bible. That's something that, as an LES person, I didn't really invest into it. I didn't take it that seriously. I didn't believe that the Bible was God's final authority. And I believed in extra biblical scriptures that were God's word. So right. everything was mixed and it was confusing and nothing reconciled. It didn't make sense. But basically my younger brother was like, lay everything aside. It's like empty your cup and, and approach the Bible. Just, just take this challenge. Approach the Bible as a child. Uh, approach God as a child as if the Bible is God's word. And just read it with new eyes. Like, take off the lens of Mormonism or everything you think you know and just read it for what it says. Take it at face value and, and see if God doesn't teach you. And uh, I was also curious to see if the claims that he, he made about the gospel uh, could be legitimate and found in the Bible because I had read the Bible as a Mormon, but there was like this veil that was over my eyes. And somehow I, I right. still thought that the gospel works is in the Bible. Um, yep. But all of a sudden well, I'm... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that's what um, 2 Corinthians 3 says. That says, even today, Paul's writing, it says, even today when the law is read, a veil comes over their eyes. 
And mm -hmm. Christ is the only thing that can lift the veil so they can actually spiritually see what reality is. Yeah. So it's so fascinating Moses. to me that, you know, that, that that's what you're experiencing. So had your prior struggle with sin, with, you know, have I repented enough? Did that make it easier to move in that direction when Micah starts saying, hey, let me, let me challenge you so. to look at things differently? I think being in a place where I yearn for forgiveness <laughs> and I yearn for grace and I admitted that I, I was in a place in my life where I'm like, look, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. And so I know the root isn't, well, I've tried everything else and it's not dealing with my guilty conscience. And so, um, it, you know, it's different for everybody, but like you said, it, the Holy Spirit initiated this where I believe it, if it wasn't for him opening my eyes, um, I could have read the Bible a hundred times and probably would still have been blinded to the truth, but it was God's supernatural kind of him uh, intervening in my life and, and helping me understand the scripture. But it was the book of Hebrews that really did it for me, honestly. Okay. And I remember getting into chapter nine and it says in verse nine of chapter nine, speaking of the old covenant, it says, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered. They cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Um, and I remember just being really impacted wow. by that message. And obviously I was never a Jew, but I could really relate to a lot of things in Mormon and in, in the book of Hebrews and comparing it to Mormonism and some of the things that I was doing. So, so I'm offering all these things to God to, in this religious system, hoping that they're going to deal with my guilty conscience. And, I, and so I'm like, okay, well, if these things in, in Judaism couldn't perfect the conscience, what was the answer? And it goes on to say in verse 14 of chapter 9, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So, so that was just a way of sharing the gospel. In other words, Jesus Christ, he died for our sins and through his blood shed on that cross of Calvary and then being in the grave three days, he rose from the dead on the third day and all of this for my justification. And so I realized that um, I had to receive salvation as a free gift. And then, and then the Holy Spirit would come into my life and, and change me. And, and then I would begin serving God um, because of my love and gratitude for him saving me, not in order to be saved. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So it was like, um, yeah. my conscience needed to be cleansed from, from this old life of sin and from the dead works of this religious system and also my, the dead works of sin. And, and I was realizing that I needed to turn from these things and face Jesus and trust in him for my salvation. For example, as I continued to read in Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 10, it says in verse 14, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those yes. who are being sanctified. A big theme in Mormonism is perfection. And how do you get perfection in Mormonism? Well, it's through a lot of works and a lot of you hard work. You perfect yourself. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so you are a big part of that equation. But in, in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is the answer. He is the way we receive perfection by a single offering. Wow. It was like you're offering, you're doing these things repeatedly week after week to cleanse yourself once again. But, but I'm learning about Jesus, this once and for all offering. It was, it was that brings eternal redemption. It was something that happened once for all. And once it happened for those who believe, you're perfected for all time. And in wow. that sense that- That is so cool. And yeah. we're like at time for this episode already. <laughs> this has gone by so fast. <laughs> so I guess I wanna end just by saying, so as you're seeing all this, 
where are you in your college career? Where are you in your professional? Because you said you were studying yeah. music. So was, just as as I kind of segue into part two, sure. Um, just give us a quick a quick cap of like where were you in your process of life? Yeah. So I was a. Uh, I was in my junior year of college when Micah got saved. And uh, after my junior year, uh, entering into my senior year is when I got saved and became a Christian. Okay. And so. And you're going to BYU? I was going to BYU, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's where we're going to end it. And so next time, that's where I want you to pick up because what, yeah, now you're a believer at, BYU. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Lynn. Yeah, and while, <laughs> so Matt had a very cute blonde LDS girlfriend, and um, Matt and Nicole started reading the Bible, and then they were coming home from BYU to Mike and I and the family in Alpine, Utah on the weekends, and we were sharing what we had learned by reading, what they had learned by reading. And his now wife, Nicole, did something called scripture chaining. And so we hope we get to talk to Nicole in part two. And we'll- Oh, um, that would well, be really- I think I'll drag her in here for part two. Okay. That would be a perfect <laughs> kind of segue into- All right, well um, then in yeah. that case, stay tuned people because we're gonna end this episode and then Next time, um, we're going to have the continuation of Matt and Nicole's story, which would be very cool. Yeah. So Listeners, thanks for being with us. Grace and peace. Until next time. So long. Thank you for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. Join us next time for another conversation devoted to helping your life and relationships flourish. As always, you can find show notes, program transcripts, and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. For a limited time, we are offering the Wilder's book, Seven Reasons We Left Mormonism, for a donation of any amount. Go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free book button to request yours. We greatly appreciate your support for the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals.